Hi, welcome to another edition of the Learn to Be Live podcast, bringing you all the future insights on learning and development, whilst interviewing thought leaders at the forefront of the L&D sector. This podcast will help you solve some of the biggest people teams challenges and answer what keeps you up at night. Hit that follow button now to stay up to date. Share the episodes across your socials and spread the word to your wider networks who can benefit from these golden nuggets. Today we're welcoming our guest panel, Jesse David, Sandra Burko and Mara Shara alongside our host, Marie Krebs, so you can hear directly from fellow people leaders on what you can do to hold on to the talent you need most. Stay tuned for actual tips and real life examples along the way. As always, we would love to hear what you think after the episode by joining the conversation using the hashtag LearnablyLive. Enjoy. Oh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining and for sharing some of your precious, precious time with us today. I'm Marie and I work in the people team at Learnably. I'm a people experience design lead. uh, And you can actually pop the question in the question box right next to the chat at the bottom left of your screen. What does that job title mean? Why is it so long? And any other question that comes through your mind during the webinar, you can put them in that box and upvote questions from each other. Uh, So that's a handy little tool there from our um, webinar platform for questions. So I said I work at Learnably, but what's that? Well, let me tell you. It's a performance enablement marketplace that makes companies more productive and innovative by putting learners in the driving seat so that they can upskill in what they need to perform. If you think of any marketplace, Etsy, eBay, etc., where that for learning resources, whether people need a course, a book, a coach, in short, the right resource at the right time. Um, and you know what that means. It means no wasted budget that's unused on the one size fits all shenanigans. But enough about us. Let me let our in- extraordinary guests introduce themselves because they will do a much better job at it than I ever could. And I will go with the first on my screen, Jesse. Hello, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Who are you? I'm, that's, that's, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? Um, professionally, so I'm a people partner at Omnipresent. So Omnipresent uh, basically allows you to hire anywhere um, at any time. So uh, scale globally um, and I find that it's really valuable, especially because in the time that we're in and through the pandemic, having worked remotely, I think people are looking for a different way to engage professionally. And I think that's really valuable to be able to be where you want. Um, And, you know, and the commute time is, I love not having to commute. Um, (laughs) Before I was a people partner, um, I used to work with at Whereby uh, with Ash, she's on the call right now. Um, and I need to shout out that she's awesome. So if you need an awesome people partner, reach out to her. Um, and before that, I was in engineering and I was also a teacher. So lots of different backgrounds. <laughs> nice, thanks. Yeah. Pass it on, Sandra Amara, that's your choice. Sandra. Thank you, Jesse. Um, so hello everyone, I'm Sandra from Unleash. I work at Unleash as a people and culture partner. I've been there for the past year and a bit. And what we do at Unleashed is really partner with small growing startups to help them scale and get all their people practices and infrastructure set up so that we're able to then step out and bring in an internal head of people to continue driving that engine forward. And prior to that, uh, my 
career started out in recruitment before deviating into coaching and just really working closely with business on people development. I'm really excited for, for the conversation today and um, Learnerby, I'm a massive fan. Uh, we use them internally at Unleashed and it's a great way to leverage our budget. So. Nice. Thank you so much. Uh, well, no, thank you for coming. And last but not least, Mara, who are you? If only I knew myself, really. Um, I'm Mara. I'm originally from Germany, as you might hear. Um, and I am the head of people at Rated People. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here in the presence of like unleashed i absolutely love it i've never worked with a people person that was an engineer before so this is super interesting <laughs> i'm really looking forward to what you have to say and learning from you and opening up a dialogue so yeah awesome awesome so i'll kick us off now we'll do around about 10 minutes uh, per question so that we've got some time for q a at the end and we're going to be looking to get some actionable tips on you know what building a people strategy for employee retention driving high performance through empowerment active listening uh, building an internal employer value proposition and uh, looking on specific employee experience milestones so my first question to you is um, looking at a high level first before we dig deeper into the details. Um, we know that we need to be intentional about retaining our top talent, right? That's why we've got so many people here today who want to listen to everything that you've got to share. Um, and it's particularly emphasized in times of uncertainty. So I'll look to you, Mara, as a head of people for my first question before you pass it on to the other speakers and ask, how do you build a people's strategy for employee retention, starting with the, the strategic foundation of your people's strategy? Um, it's a really great question and difficult to answer using like a sweeping approach as obviously each company and workforce is different. But I think there are three key steps that you can take to tailor your people's strategy and like maximize your employee retention. And I really hope I can keep this quite short. <laughs> so cut in if I don't. Um, but I think the first step is, as you mentioned, um, building a really strong employee value proposition. So because this is essentially your internal employer brand and outlines who you want to be as a company, what you stand for and how you differentiate yourself from company or competitors in your sector. Um, so this can be incredibly helpful as like a North Star, as you can compare your EVP to the current reality and then just essentially use it as a guiding tool to devise a plan on how to address that delta. Um, and I think this in turn will actually greatly assist you in building your people roadmap, which you can then share with your employees to engage and excite them and communicate why you're so amazing and why they should definitely be part of your journey. Um, so I think a strong and tailored EVP not only helps you to retain people, but it also helps you to attract them, which is probably a nice added bonus. Um, now, with this in mind, I think it's really, really easy to fall into the trap of approaching an EVP from an HR knows best mentality. Um, so as an example, if you know, you've done your commercial research, you've done your salary bandings, et cetera, and as part of your EVP, and now you're thinking about the wider employee experience, and um, for example, you want to do a benefits package review. Um, it's just really, really easy to fall into the trap of just deciding that the employees need a particular benefits package because you think it would be great or because you have seen it work well in other companies. Um, but as the keyword is 
employee experience, your next step should probably be to solicit and pay attention to feedback. Um, so most companies obviously would not roll out a new service or product without doing some testing, user testing or user research, and they will spend a lot of money on this and obviously want to ensure that it doesn't just absolutely tank um, and that it's well received. So I believe we should always do the same to build our people's strategy. So coming back to the previous example of reviewing the benefits package, given that we will potentially invest a really sizable amount of our people budget into this, um, we should first ensure that there is an actual appetite for a certain benefit or if there is anything that people would value even more where your money would be better spent. Um, because I just don't believe there is any point in spending money and effort or something that nobody wants to use and that doesn't add any value. So obviously I think most people are familiar with how feeling like you're having a voice in a business can positively affect um, employees' job satisfaction. So regularly soliciting and welcoming feedback is actually a really, really great tool to have your ear on the ground and figure out what your colleagues want to see from your company. So if you are trying to create an engaging employee experience that your trains, well, retains your top talent without consulting them and giving them a say in how they want their experience to look like, makes it so yeah. much more likely that you're just going to miss the mark and end up with a well, slightly dissonant employee experience on paper that doesn't actually reflect the reality or mm. need, reflect the needs of your workforce. So when you do solicit feedback, um, I would also recommend that you feedback the feedback to the employees, because I think there is nothing more disengaging for them than just kind of go like, OK, I'm just investing all my time and effort into this and I'm you know, pouring my heart out into all the feedback, but it just ends up in some kind of void. Um, so what I found works really, really well is just kind of do like a, you said we did session, you know, mm -hmm. where it's just like, okay, so you said that you would like to see this and that from us going forward. We cannot do this yet because of X, Y, Z. However, we are planning to do this in Q2 or yeah. you said we did this coming from tomorrow. We will roll out learnably or God knows what. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I think that's a wonderful example. I know. Right? <laughs> Nice. Um, thanks. Actually, I think that's a, a really beautiful segue for our next question. But before I do that, I'd love to get Jesse and Sandra's um, ideas and suggestions. Um, yeah, I think a part of defining your EVP is know your audience. I think a lot of times companies will try to cater to everybody. And it's that idea that if like everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. If you're trying to cater to every type of persona and personality and meet every single person's needs, you won't meet anybody's needs. So I think it's when you're defining your EVP and defining your strategy, who are the people that you see as adding the most value and not individuals, but the kind of the type of people you want on your teams and making sure that the policies that you create are aligned with that vision and that type of person, um, not that type of person, but that kind of mentality and mindset. Um, and so I think just knowing who, who you're creating this for, and this goes back to the feedback, if you're getting feedback from everybody and one person says, you know, this is terrible, not taking that individual point to mean, oh, now we have to go change everything, looking at it in the light of your entire strategy altogether. 
So would you recommend tapping into UX methodologies and building user personas even so that you can really tailor your messaging to those people? Yeah, I think that's really valuable. And, um, you know, from the whole uh, people as product philosophy, it's kind of when you look at your what you offer your employees as a product, then you can kind of understand, oh, we we don't have to cater to everybody. We don't have to add any feature that anybody requests. Um, it's looking at how it's in line with your product that you're providing to your employees. Yeah, for sure. Sandra, I see you nodding there. What, like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, what do you think? I definitely echo what both Jesse and Mara have said. I think one sort of add, addition I'd add to that is perhaps looking at employee retention, thinking about how the strengths of individuals are being utilized within their roles. Um, I think that's another angle that sometimes often gets missed where we think about top talent. We might not be actually have set that individual up for success or we might not be leveraging their strengths in a way that enables them to really um, reach that top talent aspect. So um, resources I personally use and, and sort of shared internally with clients of like, so Wingfinder is a great uh, tool for uh, running through and identifying what strengths you have or your um, VIA, which is values in action, which also highlights what are your top values and really seeing how does that weave into that individual's role? Because that I think can play uh, a huge part into whether somebody is going to engage in their role and engage in the business or decide to move elsewhere. Nice, thanks. Thank you so much. I think this this um, really echoes the next question really well, especially the point that you've raised. Well, you've all talked to actually UX methodologies, people as a product, gathering feedback so that it's really the employees that co-create their own experience with you. And to sort of give an analogy to people experience as a product, if we speak about like customers or users of a product, we know that customers who are not satisfied will go and pick a new provider if they're not happy with a service, right? So could we draw a parallel here and talk about how we can retain our own people better if we frame their relationship to the company as in they are customers, they're users, and the company is also a service, not just one that's asking them to put their skills to the, you know, fueling the vision, mission and purpose of the company, but also them being the customer. And I know um, that that's something that Sandra, as a consultant, you know, uses a lot uh, because the employees of her clients are her clients. So Sandra, I'd love to get your input on this first. Yeah, absolutely. So exactly as you said, Marie, our, our clients come through the clients that we partner with and then their employees as well, right? So a lot of the, the groundwork that we do at Unleashed is really first understanding what is the state of a particular business when it comes to the people side of things. Um, and it touches across so many different themes that we would run an engagement survey just to elicit that data, really understand how people are feeling, what is the overall experience. And from there, we can really use that to identify where those gaps are and what needs to inform how that people roadmap is shaped out. And so I found that when we've done it that way, it allows us to really understand the individual's needs, but then equally we've gone on to get quality data from leaders to get their perspectives, because sometimes that might not quite be exactly aligned, what the team are feeling and what the 
leadership team are uh, feeling might look different. And it's important that we sort of connect those dots. So lots of the feedback gathering enables us to then inform the people roadmap and identify where are those quick wins? What are the things that we can put into place now, like the low hanging fruit? Um, an example, just linking back to your previous question about EVP, do we have a glass store? Is, are we um, capturing reviews from individuals? Um, are we being able to really help them promote to the wide out, those outside of our four walls about what's happening internally within our business? And that's a very much a quick win. And then you've got much more, I would say, transformational projects in terms of they might sort of take the next sort of quarter or so to complete, whether that's bringing in the benefits, as Mara mentioned earlier, getting feedback on that, really understanding what that looks like. Um, I think sometimes we might get trapped in the honeymoon period when, when someone joins a business, there's got that three months of really just learning the ropes, finding the rhythm, getting the flavor of the organization. Mm. And we might forget and think we've done enough up until that point, but um, it's really important to weave in constant check-in points, three months, six months, nine months down the line to really see how that person is doing, how they're feeling. And other ways you can do that are through like pulse surveys, um, whether that's Friday pulse or something similar, that's something we use internally. Yeah. It just allows you to have that weekly check-in and make sure you keep on top of anything. Um, as I like to call, it's good if you can capture the flame before it turns into a fire. And if you mm -hmm. can do that early, then you're in a better position to be able to be proactive to any sort of uh, things that require your attention rather than having to react to it. Nice. Yeah, that makes me think of something that our head of people, Lauren Gomez, hello, Lauren, introduced at Learnerby recently, which is stay interviews. They're like um, exit yeah. interviews, but for people who are not exiting. <laughs> yes, I love those. Um, <laughs> Jesse, I know, um, I mean, having work at Whereby, but also working at Omnipresent today, that um, people as a product is something that you're very, very close to. So what are, what are your thoughts and recommendations? Um, yeah, I, I mean, my first introduction to it was um, through uh, Jessica, who's the CEO of Whereby. Um, she's really passionate about it. And it, yeah, I think it's interesting because it makes you reframe and helps the, age, like, the people team and um, be directly involved in the business to... Um, to have a seat at the table, that's something that I've heard often that a lot of the times the business is like, oh, the people team are over there. And it helps you reframe your value, like the value add of the people team to the business as a whole. I mean, because at the end of the day, like the business is created by minds working together. And so if the people within the team that are creating the product don't know how to work together, then that's going to come out in the product. Um, one thing that I really loved in terms of like understanding uh, like people as product is embedding the your product values into your culture um, and if you know like learnably if learnably is all about learning then at every step of the life cycle you're thinking about how can you embed learning as a value into the onboarding process into the development process um, even into the exit interviews and maybe engagement even after someone exits. If it's um, omnipresent and hiring globally, then it's how do we make the process easier for people to engage with the company, to onboard quickly, to, you know, find policies, documentation really quickly, which I think as we all know, 
being online can be really hard. Um, and just knowing where the resources are, you don't have the person to tap next to you to just say like, hey, where do I find this thing? Mm. So creating a really smooth experience, day-to-day -day experience through the tools you have um, can be really valuable. And that's the same thing you do when you have a product. You wanna make sure the onboarding is really easy. The signup is really easy, that people understand the value that they're getting from buying your product. And I think a lot of those same principles can be applied. I have a follow-up question on what you just said, actually. It's from what I've gathered, and Mara touched on it about how to design a benefits uh, package that best suits and meets your employees' needs. And you've just spoken to, for example, onboarding and other people processes that you do as a, as a product, so it's super smooth. So first I was asking myself, how do you know what good looks like? How do you know it's smooth? And then I remembered what Mara said, and I thought, well, probably employee feedback, right? So my question is instead, how do you know what a good MVP looks like? How do you know what your good first draft looks like so that the first people to ever interact with your product are not just finding themselves in front of something that's too raw to share constructive feedback on? You know? <laughs> no, or, no. Or was my question really weird? <laughs> no, was, I think that was a great question. I think Mara's in a better position. It's to open to everyone. Mara, go Me too. I thought you were asking Jesse. Um, it is a it is a good question. I think you you sort of need to sense check a little bit and maybe take yourself out of your HR shoes, but just really look at it. Okay, how would I feel as an employee? Because you are still an employee, even if you're in HR and people forget mm -hmm. that quite often. Like, how would I feel if this was presented to me? Would I just sit there and scratch my head and go like, what is this? Or would I actually go like, yeah, this is something that I can give constructive feedback on and that I can build up on. And I think in that case, I would probably just gather the key stakeholders or the people from the SLT and just kind of go like, can you cast your eye over this? Is this congruent with our values? Is this congruent with our culture? Like anything that we would struggle with implementing? If not, then I think mm -hmm. you can just roll it out and just solicit wider feedback on it. If it in its essence would be implementable. Yeah, I'd add um, to that is one, one thing that we often do when we start with a, a, a new client is run a leadership kickoff. And a question that we often ask is, what is your Glassdoor page saying about you currently? What is the experience that that looks like as it stands on this day? And then if we were to fast forward 12 months down the line, um, what would we want it to say? And really talking at it from the perspective of 12 months next year, September, we would want it to say X. And I think with that, it allows that sort of future focus and that consideration to think about where we want to stream, uh, dream and stretch our imagination towards in terms of what we are looking for. And then see where, where are those gaps then in between now and 12 months down the line that's missing and that would enable us to sort of, and what do we need to enable us to close those gaps in order to get to that ideal vision of where we would see ourselves in the next 12 months. And maybe with that, we can start to fast track those steps. Mm, nice. It's it's reminding me of something that's a bit of an anecdote, but um, you, you mentioned Glassdoor and Mara, you mentioned the importance of like coherence across things that you do. 
And it reminds me, you think I heard it years ago and it, I found it fascinating. It's the fact that um, I think it was Revolut and Monzo were both emerging maybe two years old or something back then. And um, that Revolut actually had better Glassdoor reviews than Monzo, even though they had a worse reputation because they were more transparent about what is available, what you see is what you get. And so it caused less cognitive dissonance. Mm. So I think that could be also something to examine at your own organization to help with retention is how much gap might there be between what we're selling to people, that EVP that we touched on earlier, and what people actually get um, on the land, which is also you know, circling back to Sandra, your tips on getting the pulse of things on a regular basis so you can see and then bridge those gaps. Yeah. Um, but my next question is how, so we've touched about like surveys, we've touched about co-creation a lot. And so my question is how can we engage people, you know, through empowerment? How can we make sure that yes, people are, empowered but they also actually you know lean into what's available to them so that we can really co-create and not have to spend um um just the energy sort of trying desperately to get traction how how can um people feel like guided and supported and engaged what are the techniques to build a culture of engagement i'd love to ask jesse first i think there's, um, for me, this has personally been sort of a, something, a guiding thought over the past year, and it's from Adrian Mary Brown, and it's the idea that any set of complex interactions or complex principles is built from relatively simple interactions. Um, and for the, me, that means thinking about how do we make our one-to-one -one interactions genuine, um, I, I know like the radical candor philosophy has been floating around forever. Um, and for anybody who hasn't heard it, it's just the idea that you give honest and direct feedback um, and this feedback can be taken on genuinely because you care about the person. But I think the thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is that the care aspect of it, of like, if we can build genuine relationships um, through care, then the sphere of influence that we have within our teams and the, the things that we build and the complexity we build in our teams can, um, can go further, that we can have more because we know how to communicate with each other. We know how to care for each other. And I think the really the, at the basic level of being human is that we want to know that people care about us and that shows up in lots of different ways, you know, and it's not just, Hey, here's our one-on-one. -on -one. Um, let's talk about this project. Let's get through this. Let's go through the task list. I think it's just, Hey, like I noticed you said you had a headache. Like, how are you doing? Are you okay? Like I knew like, you know, you, you told me about like your kid's soccer game or whatever, like, did that go well? Like, and just taking the two, three minutes to be genuinely interested in people, not because you need to get something done, not because 
you need to follow up and make sure the project is on task. But literally just, I want to know that you're, you're actually doing well. I think that goes a really long way. And then when you do have to have hard conversations, you already have the foundation for that. And then Mm. how you scale that is at the level of influence. So when you're an individual, when you're an IC, it's having those relationships and those genuine relationships at your level. When you're a leader, it's how do we embed this and how do we embed this at the leadership level and translate that down through our policies, through the culture, through what we say, through our messaging. And I think when we can start there as like, remember that we're all still people on the other side of the screen that who have hard days, who have late nights, who have headaches, who have screaming children and pets that want to go on walks and putting that at the forefront as a part of your business goals, not just, we're just doing this so we can reach our business goals. I think that's the thing that allows you to have the empowerment, to have the the listening, the cult, the engagement, because people know that their place in the organization matters, that they're not just another role. And like, it sounds really simple, but it's really easy to get lost in the day-to-day when you have 10, 15 Slack messages, you have a project that's looming, somebody's out and there's just so much going on. It is really difficult to stop and say, hold on, like, let me actually check in with how this person is going and doing that consistently, not just as another, like, wait, did I ask them how they are? Okay. I did that check. Like people know when people know when you're being genuine, like people, we can feed off each other's energies, even when we're online. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's where you start. Nice. Thank you. I see a lot of nods. Sandra, Mara, what do you think? Just that, just um, add, Oops. Sorry, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to add to that, I, I think definitely what Jesse spoke about there is so important and it really feeds into the psychological contract that comes with an employee um, partnering with a company and what that looks like and feeding that into the psychological safety or the environment that they step into. Um, I think given this t- topic is titled about you know times of uncertainty, um, an example that we recently did at Unleashed is we... Um, came together, brought all our heads together to go through what we called a a resilience um, recession workshop. And what that entailed was really pulling out what are we doing well? What's currently really working? What else do we have ideas? The sky was the limit. There were no sort of boundaries here. We weren't even thinking recession. We're in very much the dream state. If there was like no limits or caps, what else could we be doing? And we sort of pulled together different ideas about what we can either launch as products, as uh, additional services, et cetera. And through that, what we've done is created squads So um, in and around our own sort of day-to-day jobs, we've broken up into squads of twos and threes, and we're able then to sort of like work together in those little huddles and focus on a particular project that we are going through a sprint over the next sort of six weeks or so and having weekly check-ins to see how that's going. And I think that in of itself has naturally energized us in this sort of time of uncertainty because we've made we've looked more at what's possible rather than what's not and um that mindset piece i think is massive in really trying to pull us through this and coming at it as a all together we're in it all together attitude 
it's actually um, created more opportunities that perhaps we would have overlooked if our sort of growth mindset wasn't in, engaged in that way. So that's, I think, uh, a really sort of easy thing that people can start to adopt in their businesses of just having a session to really start to expand and go in the opposite direction of what might be typical during this sort of climate and times that we're in. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. It's just, just a big thumbs up for me. Mara, what do you think? Um, I completely agree with what Sandra and Jesse have said. Um, and I particularly like that they both picked up on the culture because I, I think actually by, by sort of treating the, you know, your colleagues as your users, as your consumers, essentially, you sort of mm. empower them in a, in a very, very strange way. So almost the, the culture that results from it it's kind of like a, I don't actually know how to pronounce it but a perpetuum mobile so like it, it just like feeds off each other and just sort of like sustains itself in a strange way so I read something that really stuck with me and I can't remember who said it so I can't even give the credit but it was like culture is how your employees feel on a Sunday evening thinking about their Monday morning and that is so true because I think we've all had jobs where by Sunday we were just silently crying to our tea or tequila really depending on what <laughs> and you know, on, on other days you're just like yeah this is this is fine like I'm actually looking forward to going and I think it sums it up so well because every employee should be a culture co-founder and mm -hmm. by giving everyone this co-founding power you not only empower people to lead by example but ideally you also end up with a really unique and unique and genuine culture like Sandra was saying um that just reflects your people and your reality as a business by distilling what's most important to each and every one of you so it's all fair and good having your values on the wall but if they don't reflect what you do day to day they're actually more demoralizing than inspiring and then in order to retain your top talent, you actually need to be very clear on who your company is, what you believe in, what you stand for, and what it's like to work for you. Just like you mentioned with Monzo and Revolut, Marie, mm. if you missell yourself, your talent will just inevitably go to a company that can give them the culture and environment that they're looking for. So by having those culture co-owners and by having a bottom-up approach and by treating the people function as a product, I think those are great starting points to actually achieve this. Nice, thanks. So what I'm hearing is to retain people, we need to co-create culture, ask for people's input, get their feedback, take their pulse, both at scale through surveys and also as people, um, whether that's, you know, across the everyday through one-to-ones or um, through more, you know, formal milestones like a state conversation. Um, and one other aspect, actually, of the employee journey that impacts retention that I'd like to get your views on is performance, growth, learning and development. I'd love to hear about how you'd enable empowerment and engagement on people delivering um, so that you because you mentioned it's about everyone having a seat at the table. So how can we. How can we make it the best table as well, where, where we're all sat together around, you know, make sure there's a table. I think and, so. I'm sorry. I was gonna I was gonna go to you, Jesse. I saw Mara, I was like, no, I'll give her a break. <laughs> 
I can go if you want. That's fine. I think Jesse's got something. Yeah. Um, um, I think the hardest part of that is as you grow, the the roles, the role itself changes, right? As a company changes, the thing that you're doing changes, but the high level expectation of what you need to accomplish doesn't. How you accomplish that will change. Um, and the what I found, at least from my experience, is you know it's really important to have that career growth framework, have some baseline set of expectations for each level and role. But then the next step there is all of like you know you can have really well documented career growth frameworks. Um, you can have all sorts of policies. You can have all sorts of leveling. But at the end of the day, if your employee doesn't understand how that applies to them, then like, what is the purpose, right? It's like the same as you go and read a book and you're like, that was really exciting. But if you don't actually take something away and action that for yourself, then where, where was your value add for yourself? Mm -hmm. And so I think for employees, it's having the documentation, having the clear expectations, but then taking the time to make sure that your managers understand what this means and explain to your employees like, hey, you know, these are the areas you can grow in and this is how it relates to these particular areas of growth. Um, this is what you're doing really well. And this is where you can see that in the framework. And this is how you need to grow to get to that next level. Um, you know, there's, uh, what, uh, there's this phrase that my previous, uh, one of the C-suite folks, used to say is you don't want to promote someone into underperformance. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard thing to know. Like, is this person ready for this role? And will this person succeed? And that's where the gray area exists of, yes, this person is doing really well, but this next role is not just a glorified version of your previous role. It's a different role. It's a different type of responsibility, different type of skill set. Is this person ready? And when you have those one-to-ones, you have those check-ins, you have those like, hey, what do you care about conversations? Then you're also setting your employees up to know how to get to that next step if they want to get to that next step and creating a clear user experience, so to say, um, where, you know, I think it's the same as if you're using a product and you have no idea how to get to the dashboard or you have no idea how to get to help you're gonna get frustrated you're gonna be like i don't want to be here anymore i'm just gonna leave and if your employees don't know how to navigate your internal product they're going to be like i'm frustrated because i keep hitting a wall so it's mm. where you take you know you create a clear user experience through your pro like through your career growth framework through your leveling systems through your role descriptions but then you where it, it's really important where your managers come in and help translate that. Um, and if they don't know how to translate that, that's a real challenge for everyone all around and for the growth of the company. Hmm. Sandra, I see a lot of nods. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah, definitely echo lots of what you shared there, Jesse. I think um, I'll probably pull it back to my earlier point about how strengths show up in this um, part as well. And it has, a, I think, a piece to play in terms of how you do discover your high performers and your star talent. And 
strengths essentially is really identifying what those natural talents are, what comes naturally to an individual that gives them energy, because if it doesn't, it, it can often drain their energy. And sometimes when we find that people are plugged into roles that perhaps aren't fully leveraging their strengths, they're able, they're not able to perform and they are deemed as underperformers. And so there's an opportunity there of exploring what maybe a role re remix might look like, what an alternative stretch project might look like, just to see how this individual's strengths and skills can really um, marry well together in a different light and really seeing how their performance perhaps might enhance and, and develop and go take further strides. I know personally from my own sort of career journey, recruitment, there was elements of it that I absolutely loved, which was probably the, the candidate engagement and identifying a, a great role for a candidate. But I wasn't massively excited by crawling through LinkedIn and creating shortlists and really trying to create a means of passive um, pipelines. So there's that aspect of the role that I didn't enjoy so much. And so when I moved into coaching, it was off the back of doing a Gallup strengths um, finder assessment to identify what my top five strengths are. And there are other platforms out there like Strengthscope as well, which I've actually recently qualified in. And it really just gives you an eye opener into what is it that you can do naturally? How does that feed into your role as it exists? Are you playing to all your strengths or is there anything you might need to do to, to remix that and, and rejig that so that it can work in your favor? Yeah, absolutely. Mara, before we move on to Q&A, I see some questions popping popping up. Um, what what do you think? I completely agree with both Sandra and Jesse, which is quite funny because this was something that I, I thought about quite often recently when people go like, oh, how can I build a high performing culture? And I always kind of wonder that this might be the wrong question to ask. It's just like, how do you make your employees feel so they want to perform highly? Um, and something that was introduced to me when I was uh, at Salary Finance was the tenets of legitimate leadership. And the trainer always said, what people need to thrive are growth and care. And I was like, that's way too abstract. That doesn't make any sense. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, actually, because growth can come in form of mentoring, a career progression framework, on the job learning or learnably, which is probably why I roll you guys out, no matter which job I go into. <laughs> but I've, I've never heard an employee say no you know what I don't want to learn and develop professionally or personally like I just want to remain stagnant like that just never happens so I feel like giving them the tools and the ownership to shape their own development and their career is really quite rewarding for your colleagues so they actually want to go the extra mile you know because they feel supported and then going into what Jesse has been saying about you know going further than just the transactional side of work. You know, if you have a manager that actually genuinely cares for you and respects your boundaries and trusts you and wants you to do well and thrive, it can make all the difference of whether you want to stay or leave a company or if you want to go the extra mile and if you want to perform well. And if you just think back to it, I think mm. most of us probably will have left because we didn't feel understood or listened to or seen or appreciated by our managers. And that can make a massive difference. So I think we should probably think a little bit more about how we can build foundations for people to want to do well, rather than how we can just like, kind of like beat a dead horse if they're disengaged, <laughs> disengaged, you know? Um, so I think it just sort of boils down to having that growth and care. And care, by the way, could also just be 
having a really, really good private medical insurance or mental health support, because if I compare to how many requests I got pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic, it's absolutely skyrocketed. Mm. And I think if you're not doing well physically, if you're in pain or if you're in pain mentally, performing well in your job is probably the last thing on your mind. So it's just more about how can the company support you to keep your back free in order for you to actually throw yourself in at work? How can we help you to switch off? How can we help you to feel well? And that is actually something that I increasingly see as a duty of a good employer, not a perk. Mm. Nice. Thanks. Um, makes me think of like, we've got a, this mental health provider, Learnably, they're called Oliva and they're like our best rated benefit, which we did through asking people to rate the benefits they wanted to see. And then we implemented it and it's, it's the best rated benefit. So like, yeah, agreed, but not for me, for everyone <laughs> in this company. Um, I just want to circle back to some of your points before I move to uh, Q&A from the audience. One is your point, Jesse, on connecting the performance process to the managers so that they can be champions and translate it for everyone in the company. One thing that I think might be relevant for everyone on the call that we found quite helpful and the managers seem to enjoy as well um, and find powerful themselves is we brought in actors uh, to for them to practice bringing to life the framework we'd introduced to have powerful performance conversations. Uh, so it's a safe space to trial and learn and get feedback uh, and practice. So I highly recommend doing that. Um, and then, yeah, then on, of course, how we connect the career framework to specific skills. How do we build those skills? There's, there's learnably for that, of course. Um, so let me check the questions here. We've got the most upvoted question from our friend Ash here, um, which is how do you encourage people to continue learning and growing when there are no open roles for promotion available, like um, an SDR sales development representative who is looking to advance into uh, an account executive role, but there's no account executive role open in your company. What do you do? Shall I go? Everyone, it's open. It's up for grabs. I'll go if you don't go. So go for it. Okay. Um, I think it's quite important to still understand why the person wants to develop and how they want to develop. So what I sometimes did when I just saw no career progression opportunity in a certain company, that doesn't mean that you're stuck forever, um, but you can still take the most out of the role that you're with. So for example, you know, do take your favorite JD for an account manager and just write down what you would be good at like what you would meet in this and what you you know what your weaknesses are and then just essentially work towards that weaknesses to turn them into your strengths so that you might even fit the job description 100 even though we know you don't have to um but you know just essentially do your own SWOT analysis and just develop yourself and take ownership of that even when you are stuck doesn't mean that you can't learn doesn't mean that you can't develop and then maybe by the time you are fully formed <laughs> and you've gotten there um, maybe the company circumstances will have changed and there is a space for you. Or maybe if not, you are definitely ready to spread your wings and secure another position as your dream, you know, account executive or account manager role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think also um, to build upon Maureen's point, getting a mentor within the account management space is also a great way for them to just understand what those stepping stones look like to make that transition so they can get ahead of that curve. Um, one thing we do internally at Unleashed is we have, well, it's been upgraded from three L's to four L's, but whenever we do reviews, we, we look at what the loves, longings and learnings are of that individual. So looking at their role, what are they most enjoying? Where do they see opportunity and scope to learn and grow? And it isn't necessarily bound to the role and their job description, but just in the company itself. Um, and then the fourth L, which we've introduced, is the leap goals. So put it in, putting in place some goals that you can focus on in the next quarter to just really stretch in the direction that you're wanting to develop holistically within your role within the company as a whole. Yeah. I agree with both and I really appreciate the, like there are so many ways to grow and you can still help this individual grow. And if, you know, I, we, I don't think we wanna force employees to stay. Um, like Mara said, like we want to want them to give it their best, to, to want to do better, right? We don't want to force people to do better. We want to give them the motivation to do so. Um, and I think, yes, one, help them work towards their strengths, both like Mara and Sandra said. And I think another part of that is if they're, if your company and your product is growing, the, the essence of creating a high-performing culture or um, rather, creating a culture that people want to perform highly in um, is that your company is growing so that there's room for growth for your individuals. And understanding if that's not happening, what is happening also at the leadership level or with your product that your company isn't growing because there's no sense in trying to motivate people to want to grow in the company if there's nowhere to grow to. So that. I think it also is a big reflection on the leadership and the product itself to understand where are we going and have we translated this properly and well to our employees so that they understand their own position in the company and the opportunities. Yeah, I love what you said about you don't want to force people to stay like you, you can't anyways, you, you, yeah. no one's got this power. So doing your best so that people stay and thrive as much as possible, but also it should always be a mutually beneficial relationship. And the earlier you know, if retention is really not an option, the earlier you can start planning. Um, what does that mean for the structure of that team? Maybe it's actually an opportunity for a little bit of reorganization. Um, you're sure that they're going to do a fantastic handover, that they're maybe even going to help you and be a super vocal champion about their own experience to help backfill the role. And I'm speaking from the perspective of a boomerang employee here where I left Learnably because there, there just wasn't the right um, opportunity because of the size and my own growth curve. Like I would have stayed if I could have, but it, it just wasn't the right content like the yeah right time and so as soon as that time happened I came back I boomeranged and so yeah if if retention is really not um the best option for it to remain a mutually beneficial relationship then do whatever is going to make it a mutually 
beneficial relationship and that will always serve everyone the best. That's um, my two cents on this. Um, But we've got another question here. Okay, there's one that's for me. So, uh, oh, but it did actually get voted. No, Sasha's question got voted the most. So Sasha's asking, aside from salary increases or one-off payments, how can we support employees through cost of living crises? Hmm. Aside from salary increases or one-off payments, what are other ways? Um, there is, um, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but um, there are providers out there like Salary Finance, like Wage Stream, um, and they're trying to revolutionize um, just financial health of people and I often feel like maybe we as employers sometimes lag behind a little bit because it's sad that it takes a pandemic and so many people just quitting their jobs and having burnout for us to finally take mental health seriously and now kind of implementing mental health so I kind of feel like it needs to be on fire first to take Sandra's example before we finally do something about it and I think it might now be the case now that we finally got the hang of, yeah, mental health is actually a real thing and let's do something about it. Um, I think we will now get to the point with financial health as well, which can massively impact people um, in their job satisfaction and just having the bandwidth to even really think about, you know, doing a good job as opposed to just doing the bare minimum because they're so stressed out. And mm. these companies effectively allow you allow your employees to access their wages whilst they have worked for them. Because if you really think about it, being paid at the end of the month, it doesn't benefit anyone but your employer. You already worked for that money, you already earned it. Who says that by the 15th, you can't just access the money that you have earned up and towards the 15th, access it and then just get the remainder paid out. So I think this might really help people that, you know, for that just don't have any money towards the end of the month by just spreading it out a little bit more as and when they need it. And they also do add on benefits where you can just have little loans, for example. And that's what an employer can do as well without partnering with these companies. You know, they could give them advances, they could do loans, they could just take a very empathetic approach to this. Um, And I think that's what people are gonna need in order to get through this. Nice, thanks. Another thing that people consider is um, a money coach. One of my colleagues, Sky, had shared um, Octopus Money. They offer money coaches. So whether as part of an organization, employers can help give that access to their employees. Um, And I think a a second point to that is looking at what benefits that individuals can also access as well, given that their financial situation has probably changed. There Mm. might be benefits that can sort of keep them as, as we saw during COVID with furlough and things like that, that could be something that is also uh, useful that they can access and benefit from at this time. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Jesse, any closing statements? Otherwise I've got another question. Two minutes, one question. <laughs> Go for your question. <laughs> okay. So it's the next question that's got the most upvotes. Um, it's a question that says, what engages you at your company? Why Why are you staying where you are? Um, you top talent that you are. <laughs> what retains you? Now or off. in previous roles? Well, for me personally, it's variety. I, I love that we get to work with different um, clients from, from different industries, 
have different missions and goals and focus points. And that just means that I, I get to sort of have a sneak peek into different worlds as we normally handle about three clients. Um, and then outside of that, we we run programs as well, like leadership and management programs. And so I get to step into that world and really go on a journey with mm. a cohort and really sort of take them from end to end on their learning experience. So, um, and these are aspects of my role that actually play to my strengths. So I think those two going hand in hand is what's kept me um, at Unleashed for the past year and a bit. Nice, thanks. Jesse. Um, I think it's, for me, it is, it's a lot about the leaders and the projects I get to work on. Um, uh, Irene, the head of people at Omnipresent always, in every meeting, she just says, what else? She just makes space for, hey, like there's space here for you. And I think having a leader that uh, makes space for you, uh, makes space for the things you care about, for me, that matters a lot to me. And I also just like the opportunity to build tools, like just take something and say, hey, how can we make this better? Um, so that's that's mostly it. That's mostly it for me. And remote. I refuse to go back into an office. <laughs> I will never come back. How, <laughs> how about you, Mara? Um, I think what really excites me is that I was really fortunate in being able to build a really small, really high performing team full of like blue sky thinkers that just have all these amazing ideas. And that's just so energizing. And even though, you know, the BAU usually gets in the way and you're just like, yeah, let's build like this amazing thing. And then everyone's like, Hey, um, <laughs> there is a performance management process you need to do. And you're just like, that's us busy for the next couple of weeks it's still it's still really really nice to just work on the roadmap and just say okay like at x point we're going to do this we're going to do like a menopause policy you know we're just going to be a little bit more progressive and just do something more people centric it allows us to take care of our people and that's something that i really value Mm. and i also value that i I feel taken care of in return and I get to grow there because after 10 years in HR, I was a bit like, oh, what what else am I going to learn? Like really good in employment law, like what else is going to happen? And then I go there and everyone is super commercially focused and I'm just sitting there like literally not understanding (laughs) a single word. Um, And I just learned so much about, you know, being a more commercially focused HR person. It just turns you into a really well-rounded professional. And that's something that I've didn't think I needed but apparently I really really did and that's awesome (laughs) amazing thank you so much thank you so much for joining thank you so much for sharing it's now two minutes past six so thank you everyone for joining us today we'll follow up with a recap of resources that have been mentioned and shared thank you so so much my colleague Cassia just shared a survey in the chat because we also do things as a product and so we would love your feedback to do a better webinar next time although i'm not sure that's possible but hey um (laughs) yeah my strength is humility so (laughs) thank you so much for joining uh to all three of you wonderful panelists uh for generously sharing your time and your super valuable insights really really appreciate you and have a wonderful rest of your week Bye. Bye.
What a fantastic session and a huge thank you to such an incredible lineup of guest panel speakers for sparking inspiration with us today. We truly hope this session has given you food for thought on how to retain your best talent in times of uncertainty. Thanks for tuning in. Tell us your thoughts by tagging us at Learnably on social media and using the hashtag LearnablyLive. Don't forget to follow us to be the first to hear all the future insights on L&D and the trends transforming the business world today. Please do share this episode with your team, network and friends so they can benefit from the insights you've heard. Finally, keep an eye out for the next episodes so that we can continue to spark inspiration.